I'm Professor uh, Wendy Byrne, um, and I'm very pleased to be hosting this Royal College of Psychiatrists podcast about the new patient information resource on stopping antidepressants. Antidepressants became a key issue during my time as president and an example of the importance of us as a college understanding the range of experiences of those who seek support for their mental health. So before we go any further, um, I'll give you some background. We know that antidepressants can help relieve the symptoms of more severe forms of depression and are helpful for many people, but they don't work for everyone and they do come with some side effects and some risks. One of these is it can be very challenging for some people to stop taking them. While some people can do so relatively quickly with no significant side effects, others can develop distressing withdrawal symptoms if they stop using them too quickly. Our new information acknowledges this in a way that our previous information did not do enough. The college has felt it was important to do this for some time now. Last year, we published a statement which recommended that the guidelines for doctors who prescribe antidepressants should be updated to better reflect this range of experiences. The body that produces these guidelines, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, or NICE for short, followed up on our recommendation and they changed their advice in October last year. While this was a welcome development, it is equally important to provide advice to patients on how to stop using antidepressants. That is why we developed this new resource, which was done from input um, with those by experience of withdrawal, as well as pharmacists, GPs and psychiatrists. To explore these issues a bit further, I'm really pleased to be joined by James Moore, who many of you may know from his campaigning work on providing better support for those stopping antidepressants. And James has worked um, alongside um, me from almost from the beginning of this, and I'm really grateful to him for, for all that he's done. I'm very grateful for him um, joining today. So, hi, James. Um, hi. Thank you for agreeing to do this. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, Professor Burnett, um, I'm, I'm delighted to be able to join you and, you know, delighted to get to talk about the new information resource, which I, I, I'm delighted to see. So, uh, you know, excited to get to chat about it. Thank you. So, so the first question, um, and can we start by you describing your experiences and why you were given antidepressants in the first place? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, like many people, you know, probably some people listening, I uh, personally have a long history of struggling to manage anxious thoughts and feelings. And uh, this resulted in a, a fear of vomiting known as emetophobia. And that's something I've had a relationship with and had to deal with since a very young age. So I managed, despite this for many years, uh, completed a, a bachelor's and a master's degree and started working for the Environment Agency and got married in 2002. And I had a daughter, Gemma, in 2009. And then in late, it was late in 2011, actually, pressures at work really started to ramp up and, and I was in the civil service. And this was a time where there was a big kind of government led austerity program in the civil service. So I suddenly found myself unable to cope with all the demands of me, both at work and at home. And I was experiencing daily panic attacks. And of course, I tried to struggle on as, as long as I could and kind of deny and hide what was happening. But every day in the office for me was kind of filled with dread and fear, really. Then it was it was near Christmas and there was one of those inevitable sickness bugs going around the office and the kind of fear provoked by that was a, a bit of a tipping point for me. So I remember being consumed by an almighty panic attack and I, I just felt it was it was too much to deal with. So I left my desk, I left all my stuff there, I walked out of the office 
and I called my wife Miranda and said can you come and get me I, I just can't do this anymore so she she drove and, and picked me up from work and and I kind of left I, I didn't know it then but as I left the office that was the end of my 20-year career sadly so I, I saw a GP and you know he diagnosed me as anxious and depressed and and told me that talking therapy would be many months away um at that point i i decided actually to see a private psychiatrist because i had this kind of unrelenting need to try and get back to work as soon as possible so the psychiatrist that i saw she was very sympathetic and she identified that the phobia was the main issue for me and so she prescribed me the antidepressant metazapine this was early in 2012 Metazapine, listeners will know that it's less commonly used these days, but she chose it because I was struggling to sleep and I was struggling to eat. So it was hoped that the metazapine would control my pretty constant nausea and, and stimulate my appetite a bit. Um, and, you know, she also said that the metazapine would calm my anxious thoughts and help prepare me for talking therapy. So that's how I kind of got on to the antidepressant in the first place. Thank you. That's that's sad to hear you talking about walking out of work and, and, and never never going never going back. How useful did you find the antidepressants? Did they actually help at the beginning? So it it um it's uh, from a symptomatic point of view, it, it did make a difference in the beginning. It, it was a very strong metazapine is quite a strong sedative, at least for me anyway. So it did help me sleep and I, I strongly recall taking one on the first night the first one I ever took and 20 minutes later my wife Miranda had to help me upstairs to bed you know it 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 had yeah. quite an effect and in those first few months of taking it I found it did help reduce the insomnia and the nausea but uh, paradoxically I found that the anxiety for me intensified so sadly I, I became completely housebound over the next two years and during that time, you know, I, I'd got appointments for talking therapy, but I found it really difficult even to leave the house to, to go and, and have therapy. And I made multiple attempts to return to work. But of course, each time the same thing happened and the anxiety became unmanage unmanageable. And sadly, then I, I was made redundant on ill health grounds in 2013. And <laughs> following that, we lost the house and had to move. And, and I I really, it's no no exaggeration to felt, say I felt like I was on the scrap heap of life, really. And it, of course, it was hugely tough on my family. You know, they were watching me fall apart and couldn't really do anything to help. And my wife was commuting to work with her job still. And, you know, I, I worrying what I was doing at home and I was barely kind of getting through each day. So, you know, I, I the metazapine definitely in the early days helped me sleep and, and you know, helped my eating a bit. And I, I was grateful for that. Did you ever try a different antidepressant? I, I didn't. We, with my psychiatrist, we, you know, of course, talked about the options and we tried, firstly, we tried increasing the metazapine dosage. But I, I found, again, just for me, that the anxiety was more troubling at higher dosages than, than smaller ones. And within a few months, I kind of decided that I, I perhaps wanted to do something different, but I was persuaded to, to stay on the drugs and you know it was that you know there, there wasn't really much alternative and the psychiatrist said look you know other antidepressants the side effect profile of those might make your nausea and sleep worse so um after a while then the you know we turned to talking about should we add an antipsychotic or, or should we add a benzodiazepine and and that's when i kind of started to get a sense that although drug therapy helps some people it, it probably wasn't something that I wanted to do longer term 
so it was then that I, I kind of started to think about, you know, maybe trying to come off them. And can you talk me through what happened when you when you started trying to come off them? Yeah, I can. Absolutely. And, and you know, firstly, it's fair to say that not everyone struggles to get off the drugs. And those that do have difficulty aren't all going to have the kind of experience that I had. But I, I did have an intensely difficult time. So I first attempted to come off after I'd been on the metazapine for about two years. By this time, sadly, the relationship with the psychiatrist that had kind of broken down. So I, I was fairly cautious. I went to a local general practitioner and their advice one said I wanted to stop. Their advice was just take half a tablet for a week and then stop. And that's that's what I did. But that experience was really quite frightening and deeply unpleasant. So within 24 hours of making the first reduction, my anxiety was increasing, but there were also new and unexplained symptoms. So I, I experienced intense dizziness, restless agitation and, and crippling headaches. And in fact, I, I became bedridden for a short time. I couldn't even stand without help. And I, of course, you know, not really knowing what to do, I said to my wife, well, I should, perhaps, you know, I should just go back on to, you know, and, and stop the reduction, you know, to see things, wh whether things settle down. And of course, they did quite quickly. And that's when a bit of a bell rang for me. And I thought maybe this is a, a withdrawal effect. So I went back to the GP and, and, and I related this and they said, no, it, it, it's relapse. But you know, I, I just I didn't agree with that at the time, because for me, the speed of onset of these new and unexplained symptoms, their, their intensity and the fact that they eased once I went back to a full dosage, that that kind of indicated to me that there was something different going up, going on. And honestly, Wendy, that experience shook me up quite badly. You know, it, I, I felt like I was trapped on the drugs, really. And I made two further attempts to reduce, but each time I, I failed and I was forced to give up halfway through. And I asked my local doctor for a liquid version to try and taper more slowly because I'd, I'd come to realize that that was the way that some people were approaching this. But it was refused because it's quite costly. It was something like 60 or 80 pounds for a, you know, a bottle of metazapine liquid as opposed to a few pounds for the tablets. And, um, you know, I, I was more... I came to realize that with each failure that I'd had, that the kind of physical and psychological hurdle for me to face became bigger after each failure. And it was only actually last year, after a painfully slow two and a half year taper, that I managed to get off the drugs. And that whole period was one of the most difficult things I've ever ever experienced including being made redundant and losing a house and you know all that kind of stuff so again i stress that not everybody will have this so severely as as i but you know i, I um it, it was quite quite an experience it's horrible that you've had to go through it and i'm really sorry that you didn't didn't get better support what what could your doctor have done differently and and looking at the information that we've produced do you think that that will will help Yes, I really do. You know, the, you know, when I kind of thought back and looked back on the advice that my doctor had given me at the time, of course, of course, then I went and looked at the official NICE guidelines at the time. And the NICE guidelines, you know, at the time, I think said that this is a mild and self-limiting thing over a period of, of a couple of weeks. So the doctor was only really giving the official information that was available. And so, of course, there was a huge gap there because for some people that is absolutely true. It's a mild and self-limiting thing over a few weeks. 
but of course not for everyone you know some people will be quite badly affected some people very badly affected some people mildly affected so the information that the college has produced I, I am so grateful for because it gives the opportunity now for the person to discuss with their prescriber from a, a a standpoint of being believed in the first place. You know, my, my doctor's reaction to my experience was, I, I've never seen this before, and this is impossible. It doesn't happen. Look, the guidelines say this. And, you know, I, you know, to a certain extent, we see what we look for. So, you know, if, if a doctor believes this is a mild thing, then of course they are going to see things which confirm that to be true. Now, you know, why I'm so pleased about the work that the Royal College and yourself and the authors have done with this informational resource is that it really does underline that withdrawal can be a significant problem for a significant number of people and it's the start point of a, a discussion process between the prescriber and the patient such that um, you know it's not a combative thing from the off you know the prescriber and the patient can work together and you know wendy i, I do want to thank and acknowledge your work because i know that you've personally committed to seeing this through even though the, the discussion on this has been quite fractious at times and that there was quite a reaction uh you know to to uh you know what was seen as the minimizing of withdrawal symptoms and i think that goes i think that's explained by the depth of feeling on this and you know, I want to thank you and the authors, George Roy Croft, uh, Professor David Taylor and Dr. Mark Horowitz. I also want to thank the groups involved, the Council for Evidence-Based Psychiatry, the All-Party Parliamentary Group for Prescribed Drug Dependence, and also all of those people that have spoken out on this, because I think it's, uh, I don't think it's any, any exaggeration to say, I think this has put the UK in the lead in terms of a professional ag acknowledgement that we might need to approach withdrawal in a very careful and managed way to make sure that it's safe for everyone. I think it, I think it has, and, and I'm grateful to you and all, all the people, um, all the people that you mentioned and all the people um, that, that have campaigned and all the other people I came across um, along the way. Um, GPs, actually, I think GPs probably take people off antidepressants more than psychiatrists do. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and it was actually talking to GPs as well that, that helped me realise what a problem it was. So we, we kind of, you and I know there's a problem. The college recognises there's a problem. Um, we've got the leaflet. Um, any thoughts about what we're going to do to really make sure it gets gets out there um, and that everybody knows about it? Yeah, I, that, that's a really good question. I, I think certainly I, I'd like to investigate whether it's possible to have some kind of promotional campaign around this for wide, the wider prescribing community. And, and, and as you say, Wendy, you know, you're quite right. GPs are really in the front line and, and, and do an awful lot of prescribing and will do an awful lot of the deprescribing too. So I was really thrilled to see that the Royal College of General Practitioners and the Royal Pharmaceutical Society um, were signed up to the guidance. And and, you know, I, I hope that they can lend a hand to kind of make, you know, raise awareness that this guidance is there because, you know, as we know, doctors are under pressure and have limited time. If we can get this in front of them so they can see it and understand it, I, I think it will go a, a long way to help. Uh, I think podcasting discussions like this help too. And, you know, I, I, I also wonder more widely, you know, is there anything we can do to spread awareness of this with the other 
psychiatric ex establishments like the American Psychiatric Association and the European Psychiatric Association because um, you know we we might come on to talk about it but I, I started a petition on this some time ago and you know signatures on that petition are from all over the world so you know the UK is I think has made quite a bold step in recognizing this and starting to tackle it I think the informational resource is a fantastic stepping stone now that we can build on for, you know, can we start to talk about support services for people who might have been affected by withdrawal? Can we look at making liquid versions of antidepressants more widely available and perhaps trying to reduce the cost of them? Can we look at solutions that other countries have adopted, like tapering strips in, in the Netherlands that we, we might come on to talk about? So. I think what's so good about it is it opens the door now to all those conversations where previously I felt that the doors have been a little bit shut and some, not all I stress, but some prescribers have been too quick to blame the patient rather than see it as perhaps an issue with the, the drug that we need to resolve. So I, I you know, I, I see this opening a lot of doors and I'm very grateful for that. You're right. It's it's a worldwide problem. Um, I did speak about it. I went to the Canadian psychiatric um, meeting um, last year, and I did speak about it there. And and interestingly, a lot of people were already aware of it. Um, there's a bit of there's a bit of bit of a divide amongst them. Um, certainly, psychiatrists when you talk to them, um, some people say yes, of course. You know, why are you telling this is something new? We knew about it all the time. Um, others say that they that they weren't aware. Um, so there is a bit of a, a bit of a divide, um, and, and you're right. We need to to get it out there. Um, but I'm really I'm really keen we get it out in um, in the UK as well. Um, and I'm really keen that we get it into um, training, both of um, both of psychiatrists and of and of um, GPs. You mentioned um, tapering strips. Um, you came to see me with some people about tapering strips. Can you tell us a bit more about them? I, I did. Yeah. So um, in in the kind of um, in the early stages of me, you know, kind of coming to understand what was happening to me, I, I became very interested in learning from other people's experiences and also raising awareness that, you know, withdrawal was, was kind of affecting people. And so I started at this petition, this was in 2016, and, and that was calling for what I called at the time tapering kits. And at the time, I very naively envisaged that these might be made by the pharmaceutical manufacturers and there'd be prepackaged tablets that would gradually and steadily reduce in in dosage because i was of the opinion of the t in, at the time that the manufacturers kind of had a duty of care to help people off the drugs at the end so the petition had been running for a little while and, and then out of the blue i was contacted by a dr peter groot and he was from the user research center of maastricht university in the netherlands and it turned out in one of these strange kind of quirks of, of fate, I guess, really, it turned out that he had conceived and developed exactly what my petition was calling for, only he called them tapering strips. And these were based upon his own experience of withdrawal from venlafaxine. And he, he'd been many things. He'd been a, a genetic researcher and a you know microbiologist and, and all kinds of things. So he worked with... Um, uh, a foundation and, and a not-for-profit pharmacy to develop these things called tapering strips and it, essentially they are pre-packaged rolls of whatever medication someone is taking and they've they're very clever in that they combine very small dosage tablets to make a much more variable and wide range of dosages available than we can get from conventional tablets so it's a little bit like lo using loose change in your pocket to make up any denomination of money 
and so they developed tapering strips for I think they've got it got it for something like 30 or 40 different drugs now not just antidepressants but antipsychotics too benzodiazepines even some anti-epilepsy drugs and even I think proton pump inhibitors and other things too and what's really good about them is they are they're quite customizable so a person can work with their prescriber to say okay i want to come off over three months or six months or, or longer or whatever it might be and the reductions in the tapering strips are really gradual so you, you know you might stay on you know let's say you're starting at 10 milligrams you might stay at 10 milligrams for four or five days and then it reduces to 9.5 for a few days and then nine and so on and so on and the nice thing about it, and I have actually used them myself, I, it's fair to say that without tapering strips, I don't think I would have got off metazapine at all because I was using liquid for the majority of my two-year taper. But when I was getting down to the very small dosages, it was becoming impossible to measure the liquid accurately. You know, I couldn't get tiny. I, the tiniest syringe I could get was 0.5 milliliters. And measuring a, a fraction of that for my metazapine was so difficult. So tapering strips were nice because all i had to do was open each daily pouch and take the tablets that were in that pouch and i knew that by doing that i was following a set reduction schedule and it was much more gentle on my nervous system because it wasn't a big drop or it wasn't a, a drop every day it was a drop every few days and you know i i think you know I, I like the idea of tapering strips being available alongside liquid preparations and you know whatever we need to turn to to help people withdraw because liquids are are really good because they're practically infinitely variable but some people might struggle with liquids you know if if you're elderly or, or, or if you have limited vision or there are so many other reasons that might make measuring tiny dosages of liquid very hard for people so tapering strips are quite nice because you just take each daily allocation and you don't need to worry about anything else you can get on with your life and focus on life once you get past the drugs and you know i i i ordered my tapering strips from the netherlands and i remember you know showing miranda my wife the last pill and you know saying hopefully this you know this is the last one that i'll take and also you know they the team in the netherlands have done quite a lot of studies now on on tapering strips and they are really successful when studied and it's arguable of course i think they are the most evidence-based evidence supported withdrawal method available because i i haven't really seen too many other studies that are looking at comparing liquid and, and other forms and i know some people try and crush pills and weigh them or they might count beads if it's a capsule based medication but you know some of those methods are quite difficult to 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 be accurate about so i was over the moon to see that they're available and i interviewed dr groot and obviously made use of tapering strips myself so and um wendy of course you and i met and you met dr groot yourself and we kind of had had a look at some so i yeah, hope I that's really um, i was really impressed i thought that they were they were great as you know i wrote to matt hancock saying we ought to to try them in this um in this country how did you actually get them from the netherlands well i um I, I you know i'm fortunate to know a few psychiatrists privately so i, I had a friend psychiatrist who was willing to write me a pres private prescription for them they 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 can be ordered worldwide but they have to be ordered with a prescription and of course the other you know the other drawback is that we need to pay for them because they're not dispensed you know the the, the netherlands has a private insurance-based healthcare system very different to the uk so um you know we 
I, you know, I, I hope that at some point in the future, tapering strips or liquids or a solution like that can be available for everyone on the NHS at no cost. But obviously, we need to we need to evaluate their effectiveness. You know, we know there are cost pressures on the NHS. But I, I think the benefit of doing that is if someone goes to their psychiatrist or their doctor or their prescriber and their prescriber says, look, you know, withdrawal is a possibility when you come off these drugs. You know, I do need to tell you about that. It doesn't affect everyone, but it can affect some people and some people can have a real struggle with it. If they can then go on to say, but we have systems in place and tools in place to help you manage that when you come to it, I think that's a good outcome for everyone because it means that the person can try whatever they need to try, knowing there is help available for them at the end of the process, should they wish to finish treatment. And the prescriber also knows that they there is already there are already tools and whatsoever to use when that person want, comes to them and says, I want to end treatment now. So, you know, tapering strips, they are a brilliantly simple idea. I, I think there's great merit in looking at their... Uh, you know, making their use as widespread as we can in the UK. But there are some hurdles, of course, there's cost. And, you know, at the moment, somebody could go and get them, but they would need a prescriber to go through the form with them and to sign the form. And, you know, you can design your own tapering schedule using tapering strips, even to, you know, they've been they're very cleverly thought about them. They're quite modular in, in how you approach them. So, for example, if you've reduced say let's say from five milligrams to two and a half milligrams over 28 days but then you know let's say that there's a death in the family or or there's some event that causes you some real upset and you feel you can't go on with your taper you can order a, a strip which is just two and a half milligram tablets for the next 28 days so people can pause during their taper which you know is really clever so you know but to design those tapers i think it's best done with the prescriber so you know me sitting down with the prescriber and saying okay i want to i want to come off in this amount of time and perhaps we could build in a pause here because something is happening or moving house or you know moving to another country who knows what what it might be but so i think the beauty of these is they are simple but i think also it would be good if a prescriber and a patient can work on a tapering schedule that, that works for them and, and tapering strips allow that to happen absolutely that that's really really important and it's very important that anybody coming off antidepressants um does it does it with somebody um helping them um, a gp or a psychiatrist or, or or a mental health practitioner but somebody to support them it isn't something you'd just want to do on your own no okay do you have anything else that you want to say well, I, I just want to reiterate really how pleased I am to see the guidance. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think sadly, and I, you know, I stress Wendy, I'm not, I'm not lumping all prescribers in with this, but I have heard people say that once they started to struggle with the drugs and they had problems coming off, the prescriber didn't really want to know much about that. And the sad thing about that is if, if prescribers aren't paying attention to those difficult experiences, then we miss learning key points that could really help in the future. So I see the guidance as kind of breaking down that reluctance to discuss difficult experiences because you know those difficult experiences can teach us a, a, a huge amount actually about safe withdrawal for people and, and helping people who come to the end of treatment for whatever reason and, and want to get on with their lives and do something different so you know 
I see the, the guidance is hugely important in helping that conversation happen. And, you know, I really hope that obviously we can go on to look at perhaps telephone support or support services and making uh, the tools for withdrawal widely available for people because I think there's a lot to be learned there and I think the UK has a real chance to become a real leader in that and I also hope that we can acknowledge that there are people sadly like me you know I'm still having a, a really difficult time of it even though I came it came off a year ago and there are still some prescribers that say that's not possible, but sadly it is possible, not for many, but some people have a really, really long drawn out difficult time of it. So I hope we can put some research effort into can we help those people too? And, you know, I think the outcome of that is is good for us all. It's good for prescribers. It's it's good for patients. Um, it's good for the, the, the health services. So, you know, I, I see it as part of de-prescribing really to you know, have a good solid understanding of what happens, you know, not just at the start of treatment, at, at not, you know, at, at the end too. And, you know, I, I, you know, as I said, Wendy, I, I want to acknowledge that you've personally seen this issue through despite moving on as the Royal College of Psychiatrists president, and you've maintained an, an interest in this despite the sometimes bruising discussions, uh, you know, back and forth. So I look forward to a time where, a prescriber can honestly inform the patient that withdrawal might be an issue they have to deal with in future, but that we have support systems and tools in place to help them through that. That 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 would be wonderful. Um, and this is is this is just the beginning, isn't it, of quite a lot of work that we need to do um, to get there. And I suppose the the other thing to emphasise um, for any doctors listening to this, uh, do listen to your patients. Okay, so thank you very much for for joining me, James. Thank you, Wendy. It was a pleasure to get to get to chat, and uh, you know, thank you for to you and the authors for for all the work on this. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.